I know you. You are afraid to speak up. You are scared of what other people think of you. And you blame yourself for what happened to you. I know how it feels because I've been there. If you found me, I'm so grateful you are here. This podcast will give you hope. And I'm your host, Anna Ditchburn. I'm going to hold your hand and provide the guidance that I needed the most. It's time for you to find your why and turn your experience into your superpower. So lock your door, put your headphones in, and enjoy. Dr. Rob Kelly, welcome to the world's best trauma recovery podcast. Thank you, Anna. It's good to be here. Good to be with you today. Woohoo! Rob, first question. What was harder, quitting an alcohol or learning how to play a bass guitar? Oh, I, I can play any instrument, literally any instrument. And I, and I did from a child. I think at the age of five, my parents bought my first guitar. So definitely alcohol, because it took me a long time to get over that. But yeah, I've just been gifted with this. You know, somebody gave me bagpipes once, and they were all laughing, and within 10 minutes I could play a tune. I'm amazed how people can't do That's how crazy it is for me. So definitely the drinking. How long you've been sober for? I never give my exact dates out. And the reason why I don't is because days, weeks, and years don't really matter to me. It's not about counting days. It's more about making the days count. So everybody should judge each other by their actions, not by their intentions. So in the past, I've had sponsors been 25, 30 years sober, and they've done some despicable things with me or to me. So I don't tend to uh, carry on and hold on to the years. It's more about quality of life today. But it's been, it's been quite some time. Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. I haven't been drinking for two years now. And this is one of the best decisions I've ever made. I wasn't a big drinker before, but I decided to quit completely because we, we are trying to become a parents. Rob, what was your most shameful moment during your drinking days? When I was uh, in the midst of my drinking, before I came homeless, I, I, I came down from, from upstairs about 3 a.m. in the morning, and there was, there was t- two of them that run into each other. I came down 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock, uh, dying for a drink of vodka, uh, searched the kitchen for vodka, finally found my vodka, uh, put the bottle on the side of the counter for a second to turn around to get a crystal glass because I'm not an alcoholic drinking out of the bottle. That was my mentality. And when I came down, my wife had followed me down. And when I turned around to get the glass, she turned around and she snatched the bottle of vodka off the side of the counter. And when I turned around, I, I saw her holding the bottle. And she said to me, Rob, I think you've had enough. So based on that, I've been drunk for like a week. She was probably right. I should have said, thank you, Mrs. Kelly, gone back upstairs and slept the rest of the night up. What I did was took a kitchen knife out and stabbed her three times, grabbed my bottle, finished the bottle, called the ambulance, police, and a taxi. The taxi got there first around the corner. I waited for the sirens in the background, and I jumped into a taxi and I fled. I stayed in Spain until the attempted charges were, were dropped. Then I returned. When I returned, uh, my wife had my children and suitcases packed. 
And she said, I love you to the day I die, but you're not going to kill our children. So she left with them. I got them back the next day because I have a powerful attorney. And then I went on a drinking binge with the children in the next room. So I blacked out two days, three days, I can't remember. When I came around, the police were kicking me. The children had not been fed for two days, not been changed diapers for two days. And they took them off me right there and then. There was a crowd outside, wife, mother-in-law, police, and child protective services. And my daughter holding hands with mommy, she's walking down the path. She says, daddy, daddy, please don't go. And then she says, daddy, daddy, please get better. And then as she went to the end of the path, she turned around and she says, Daddy, Daddy, please stop drinking. And I couldn't do it. So that that's probably two of my most shameful things that I've ever gone through. And you wrote the book about your story called I, Daddy, Daddy, I, Stop Drinking. Yes. So the last thing my daughter said to me was, Daddy, Daddy, please stop drinking. So we decided to write a book and we were stuck for a title. And uh, the book has been going for two years. My wife wrote it. I just, you know, sort of dictated and she wrote. And then probably about... I don't know, a couple of months before we were due to finish it, my daughter got back in touch with me, the eldest one, the oldest one as never. And uh, my wife, I told my wife the story, and, and she said, why don't we call the book, Daddy, Daddy, Please Stop Drinking? And that's what we do. On Amazon and Walmart, and you can buy it there, it's only $9. It's a great story. It's an amazing story, and it's really fun to read. I was like Thank literally you. in tears. Then I was pissing, crying when you when you try to get your girlfriend to watch the movie, uh, oh, Deadly yeah. Weapon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> could you could you tell oh. us this story? It's like it's so fun. So I, I, I was uh, it was in the it was in the karate kung fu days. Bruce Lee was at the top of the list, uh, but my mom wouldn't let me go and see any of the film apart from martial arts film, because we were only like 14, 15, and it was X-rated, which means you have to be over 18 to get in. So it was martial arts films only because we were studying karate. Uh, and then we, me and my friend saw on the, in the big lights, Deadly Weapons. Well, that sounds like a, like a martial arts movie to me, Deadly Weapons. So we, we snuck in and we sat there, and it was about a woman with big boobs. We didn't know that. It was a karate movie in sight or kung fu movie in sight and we sat there and me and our friend went when, when's the fighting going to start and it never thought it never started and my mom found out we went to like a soft porn movie oh horrible horrible oh my goodness <laughs> that was so fun Rob you also shared some of your childhood experience for the very first time in this book that you've been molested at 11 years old what helped you to overcome this trauma? I think he was like eight or nine, started, and 11 again with choir master. But what happens with trauma like that, sexual abuse, and there's all sorts of different times of trauma and sexual abuse, is we don't define it enough. Because we don't define it, we don't treat it. And because we don't treat it, 30 years later, we find out we can never keep a relationship, we can never keep friends, we always attract the same person that ends up being alcoholic, addict, wife, whatever it is. And it all goes back to the trauma regarding the instance with me, amongst other things, it was sexual trauma. I had to seek professional advice, but it wasn't until about 10 years ago. So many years on, there were certain uh, sexual ideas that I had that weren't normal. You know, some of it would be, you know, abnormal. Not to the extent of anything crazy, just normal 
pornograph stuff I watched, but and and with girlfriends. So I knew I had to address that because sex sex become a forced or the idea of force was was enticing to me, not physical hurting, but you know, just it was just crazy. So when I go back and relate that to what happened to me, then it was learned behavior. So why would I act any differently when I grew up? Only 10 years ago did I, or less than that maybe, I went to the meadows in uh, a treatment center for PTSD and trauma. So I thought I'd dealt with it for many, many years, and, and maybe partially, but it needs cleared up 100%. So what happened to me six, seven, eight years ago, can't remember, is it all came down to me all at once. And I had a brain overload, so I had a little bit of a mini breakdown, PTSD and trauma was diagnosed. And uh, they, they shipped me off to a treatment center for six weeks. And I spent six weeks working on my trauma. And I came out trauma-free and still trauma-free to this day. So I went back to the place and I went to learn their techniques. One of the techniques was somatic experience, which I learned, and uh, brain spotting, which are two uh, techniques, one old, one new, uh, to make sure that I can pass this on to other people. I really enjoyed myself when I really freed myself. Because that's what it's about today. It's about freeing yourself. It doesn't have to be about alcohol, drugs, food, sex, porn, none of that. This is about living life to the full. This is about being proud of who you are. And this is about knowing quite well that any human being listening to this can do anything they want to do. Quantum physics tells us that all we have to do is decide what we want, visualize what we want, and then go and take that position about what you want. And many times, the only thing that's stopping me is me. Because the little internal battle that will tell me I'm not good, I'm not clever enough, I can't do this, that guy over there is doing it, he's better than me. It's a lie that my brain tells me and my internal dialogue tells me. And uh, the biggest secret in the world is the higher you go in business, the more stupid the people are. And everyone thinks these are, these are amazing guys, CEO, amazing guys difference in you, me, and you. There's no difference. It's just they believe they can do it, and I didn't believe I could do it. I love it. If you believe you can do it, you can do it. And, and when I used to tell people that, I got the same thing when I came to America. I used to tell patients, you can be wherever you want. Well, I can't be president of the United States. That's what they always would say to me. And yet we had a businessman running the country with no political experience, despite the political views. We had a business somewhere in the country. Don't sit there and tell me that you can't do anything in the world that you want because everyone keeps saying, well, that's impossible. And I say, put an apostrophe in between the I and the N and start saying, I'm possible because everybody can do this. Everybody can get the mental health back on track. Everybody can get fit, everyone can get work. Whatever you want to achieve in your life, you just have to remember that no matter what it is you want to achieve, that will not make you happy. So anybody listens to this that's had money, you know money doesn't make you happy. Great relationship, no. It's not, it's not my job to make my wife happy. It's my job to make me happy and then share that experience with them. But most people in life, they chase the money and they miss the dream. The dream is the in-between bit. From start to what you think is finished, the dream and hence my saying, I'm, I'm not dreaming and living, I'm living the dream today. It's like every single day. Some people might have heard of one day at a time, think it's for a drinking thing or an AA thing. It's not. One, one day at a time means that 
you know, whatever time it is where you are now, guys, you're enjoying this podcast and you're living life to the full, you need to pause for 10 seconds and realize that everything today, I don't care whether you're the lowest, the lower, highest, everything today in your life you've prayed for before, you've asked for before. And then we get to that point and we get complacent. If you want to carry on, a couple of things you have to do every single day. You have to be grateful for who you are and grateful for where you are and always be giving back to other people. I compliment three people every single day because when I compliment somebody, dopamine is released into my brain. So I feel good as well. I also monitor bless somebody every time I leave the house. You know, my higher power, supreme being, God, whatever you want to call it, has blessed me with enough money to bless other people. And that today is what it's all about. And I agree with you. Money is just a tool to help others. Yes. And, and, and help you to help others. And I ask for that. You know, the- I really, I ask for everything I have today. Everything I have. Because when I was a kid, when I was homeless, I didn't have any money at all. And I swore if I ever got enough money to survive on, I'd start giving away. And we've done that ever since I got to America. I've always been given back. You want to see the child's face when you walk into Walmart or any store and the mom was looking at the bank and they're looking at the prices. And I had one say, well, maybe next year. And I stopped them and go, I want to buy that bike for your son. And they go, what? I want to buy it. And they get the son excited. And then I wheel a bike and I give it to the son. That look from mom, dad, and the son is priceless. Absolutely priceless. 100%. <laughs> Rob, you've mentioned... Um, in your book, some of the stories when you were homeless, I'm just wondering, how did it feel to be homeless? It's a great question. Nobody's ever asked me. They all ask me, what do you do? How do you get off the streets? But nobody's asked me how I felt. Here's how I felt, Anna. I felt desperation. I felt loneliness. And the biggest one I felt, which, which really affects the brain and central nervous system like no other, is abandonment. I was abandoned on the streets. Every time I called parents, they would put the phone down. Nobody would answer my calls. If I met somebody in town that I knew very well and walk up to and they'd, they'd cross the road, it was just pure abandonment. I felt lost. I felt useless. And I, I just wanted to die. And, and as you know, reading the book, I think it was five occasions that I tried to commit suicide. And on a couple of occasions, it worked. I actually killed myself and it brought me back to life. Now, I, did, I hated that man for that for a long time because I just didn't want to live. So the loneliness and the abandonment was just killing me. I was drunk every single day. The only way I could cope with that is to get drunk from 24 hours a day. I drink during the day, I fall asleep, I wake up, I steal some more alcohol, I make sure I steal enough alcohol for the night time to get me through the night. And it was just constant, absolute constant abandonment, shame, remorse, guilt. And every Christmas and every birthday that my child had, I was never there. I used to cry myself to sleep on that occasion. very quite well that they didn't have a dad. Rob, what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned during this time? Ah, where are you getting these questions from? These are amazing questions. Nobody's asked me that. I've done about 3,000 podcast interviews and stuff. The biggest lesson I've learned is no matter where you are, what your circumstances, you can improve them. No matter the children lost, the parents, the wife left, you can improve that. And the biggest lesson is when you do the right thing and help another human being, 
again, God, universe, higher power, whatever you want to call it, Uncle Bob, uh, you get rewarded for that. And, and I'll tell you a little story. When I come off the street, I, I, uh, I started to do well. And then I did about, I don't know, a few years on my own practice. And then, you know, and then about 15 years ago, I came over here. So rolling on many years on, 30 years on, isn't it? A couple of years ago, my daughter got in contact with me after all that time. So when I flew over there, and this is about promises coming true if you help other people, is she texted me for the first time, and I was actually messaging on the, on the phone. And my friend's looking around my phone, pain. So I have to get it in case of patient. And it was my daughter in England. And she says, hey, Dad. She called me Dad. I have not heard that for so long. I actually printed that off every frame from my office phone. Hey, Dad, I don't believe what my mom was telling me. I've seen you on TV. I want to c- contact you again. I have some good news. So we spoke uh, by messenger phone the next day, and me and my wife flew over there. And uh, Anna, the, the walk up to her house was horrible. I was so nervous. that The voice inside my head was saying, you've been useless so far as a father. Why would you go now? You'd piece of crap all this stuff, and I knocked on the door, and she opened the door, and uh, we hugged, we cried, and just on the door for what seemed like a day. It was probably a few minutes. And then I thought, I thought life couldn't get any better than that right there. Because when I opened the door, she says, hey, now. And then she said, I've got the good news to show you, and she took me into a living room, and she handed me my three-month-old granddaughter. So when, when, I, when I was on the streets, as desperate as I was, there's always hope. And there's always things will come back to you. If you want your wife back, she'll come back. If you want your kids back, they'll come back. When they see you doing well, when they see you being successful, and when I say successful, that could be $5 an hour job or it could be $500 an hour job. It makes no difference once you life. When you're doing something with your life, then they will come back. Everyone asks me today, and they go, don't you hate your wife for leaving with the kids? My answer to that is she was a great mom. She did the best thing that could ever happen was taking away out of the danger zone because it was a war zone in my house when I was drinking. And, and we've done some tests on wives of alcoholics that were drinking like me in rages. And the psychological effect was no different in the house to when soldiers would come back from war with PTSD. The brain lighting up is exactly the same. You both don't know when it's going to kick off. Both don't know, don't know it's going to be the last day. Always walking around with eggshells. So I knew what, what I'd put through. But yeah, that, that, that's the biggest lesson, I think, that you can literally change your life right now. If you want to change, change is possible. And it's easier than you think. I don't think, oh my God, i got to do this. for six months of the year. You can change right now. You can take that. You can say, I'm going to change my life. And change it. When you get up tomorrow morning, brush your teeth with a non-dominant hand. I always do this. Well, now do this. That's your life change. Make the bed. When you get up, I'll do it later. Make your bed. Great. Life change. Put your left foot through your trousers, pants. Instead of your right foot, change your life. And go on from there. And the reward system from the brain will start working on that. And then it will want more success and more success. And with that, things will be changed. Thank you so much for sharing and for sharing this story, Rob. I was literally crying through throughout the whole story. It's it's a heartbreaking. Rob, now from from your own experience and and knowledge, what would be your best advice to our family members who have 
someone who is battling with alcohol or drug, I don't know how to say, disease or, di- or addiction? It's, 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 a, it's a disease. It's a, it's a, it's a biochemical reaction with, with ethanol and alcohol when it comes to alcoholism. But I want to tell everybody, first of all, if you think, most husbands you know, but if you're talking about children between the age of 10 and 19, 21, and they're living at home, you've got to watch for them signs. You've got to watch them sticking in the bedroom, the isolation, the unkempt, missing dinner, all the stuff they promise. And dialogue is always the first call. Start dialogue with whoever you think has a drink and ask them outright. Do you? I don't accuse them. Ask them. Alcoholism is the only self-diagnosed illness in the world. Many people think, I have four DUIs, I must be an alcoholic. Nope. It doesn't work like that. We are born this way. Drug addicts are, are, are made through society. Alcoholics are born. You can trace it back through your generation. So start with, do you need help? Do you want help? Do you have a problem, do you think? And if the answer is yes, then start looking online or call us at Rob Killer Recovery Group. We will always look at your situation. If you can help, we will. But we're very limited because we're a concierge service. Well, communication first. And then professional health second would be my answer all of the time. I would rather um, you ask your child or husband an embarrassing question like, do you think you're drinking too much? Then go to his funeral in three months' time because you didn't ask or you were too scared to ask or you didn't want to upset him. There is, there is abuse of alcohol, which is different to alcoholism. That's another fine line. Given a sufficient reason like, hey, husband, if you don't stop drinking, I'm leaving. If you can stop or moderate, it's not an alcoholic. Once again, misunderstood by the whole world. There's a, there's a fine line. So dialogue is very important. And love, love, love is very, very, very important. Rob, how people get into this disease in the first place? Alcoholics are born this way. So the, the gene is hereditary. So it's passed down from generation to generation. It may skip a generation, and we don't know why, but... It will always be passed down. So if your father or grandfather is an alcoholic or mom or sister, then there's a good chance we're dealing with alcoholism. So that's no choice. You know, that disease has already planted since day one. Now, 95% of heroin addicts that come to me for help started in the doctor's office. So you can see the learned behavior and the born behavior where the brain acts. So people say there's no such alcohol and drugs and acid act the same, they're not the same. The alcoholic has the, the compulsion, the, the, the mind, the obsession, uh, you know, drug addicts grow into that and, and, and use it as a habit and then become addicted to it with addictive personality. So we both present themselves the, the same when they, when they come to me, but there is a fine difference. So if you have the addictive personality and you go to the doctors and we give you pain medication, then what sooner or later is going to cut you off and then you have to go to the street. So everyone's blameless here. It's just a matter of getting to somebody before it all goes wrong. Thanks so much for, for clarifying this. Rob, I'm just wondering, how music helped you in your healing journey? Wow, absolutely just saved my life, I think. I've always been a musician. I was actually on stage playing professionally. That means getting paid for it. Um, with my auntie and uncle at age nine, at nine, ten, around about eight. So uh, I've always gone back to music at the end of the day. I wrote um, recovery music. 
a, a friend of mine's mother passed away um, probably about eight years ago now, came to me and was chatting around what we could do about the funeral. And he said to me, wouldn't it be great if you could write a song for her? So I did. It's called Letter from Heaven. It talks about her sending a letter down back to the still survivors and saying, hey, you know, don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. Don't worry about me. Still looking out for you. So it all goes back to music for me. I always have a guitar in the background where I can just pick up and play for two seconds. My amplifier is world today, so I can't really play. Mm-hmm. Uh, so next time I'm on, I'm going to play you a song, guys. So yeah, and I love to listen. And another thing people ask me is, what, what's your style of music? I mean, my, my genre is everything because I'm a musician. I like rap music. I like country music, pop music, rock music, hillbilly music. You know, it, it's just amazing because I just... I just love it. It is the, I always have music playing in the background. You know, I have uh, 12 guitars around the house. I gradually just walk around the house and if I feel like playing, I'll play. And if I don't, I have a set of drums over here. I have a violin in the corner. I mean, it's just, it's all about it. So 100% for me that, that, you know, it, it made a difference to my life. Amazing. Amazing. And I also know that, that your wife, Janet. Janet? Yes. She is also your soulmate. How important is it to have someone, a, a woman, who is so supportive and so loving behind your back? I think, and this is my personal opinion, it's absolutely fact that we have somebody. So you are getting a relationship, you trust each other, and you have each other's back. But there is time, either on stage or, or during my TV uh, shows, yeah. that it will hit me. What the hell are you doing? Why are you speaking to me? What do you know? You don't know anything. You know, everyone's going to find out. You're flawed. You're not going to find out. It's not really English. Everyone's going to find out. And the, and the mind games are terrible with me sometimes because I'm at that higher platform. I'm at that higher level uh, of publicity. But I remember I remember one conference was going on. I don't know how many people there, maybe 50,000. And I was on my wings, ready to go on. And I was so nervous. And I, and I just didn't know what to do. I was never been this nervous. And my wife laid hold and she whispered in my head. And she said, Your daughter, Rob, Kelly, I'm going to do what we do best. And she literally pushed me towards the stage. And it went on. That's what I'm talking about. When I come home and do something, she's like, Yes, you are the best in the world. You are absolutely amazing. She's always telling me that. And um, yeah, w- without her, and I know we should really rely on other people, but without her, there would be no killing the government. There would be no people. Because she's everything. She's just phenomenal. And I think we need that. I really think, you know, we're social animals. You just got to look on death row for some statistics. Most people on death row are finally making it to the chair um, or the gas chamber or whatever it is, the needle. 95, 95% are insane. Because of the isolation for so many years. It's like we need people in our lives. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Show me a good partner, I'll show you your future. One of us is, is more successful than the other when it comes to out there in the world. I'm up there, but she runs all the back office, so we're kind of like this without anybody knowing. I'm the front of the company, but without her in the back end, supporting me, loving me, and just being the best. She's my wife, she's my girlfriend. She's my best friend, she's my assistant, she's my road manager, everything on that. Yeah. I'm blessed. Janet, thank you so much. 
Janet, <laughs> big shout out to you. Yes. It's so close to my heart because honestly, I found my soulmate, my, my now husband. We got married five weeks ago. And if it wouldn't be for him, I wouldn't start my healing journey. And if it wouldn't be for his support and his love, unconditional love, I don't know what would happen to me, honestly. And, you know, the words that your wife is telling you to support you and to encourage you are very important. And speaking about words, just my last question, Rob. You know, in these uh, Alcoholic Anonymous groups yeah. where, where people stay and say, hi, I'm John and I'm an alcoholic. And I, will, I really want to ask your professional opinion. When they say I'm an alcoholic, do they reassure this? Because, you know, when, when you say, oh, I'm so stupid, I'm so worthless, I'm so this and this and this, your subconscious and your body literally start believing it. When they say I'm an alcoholic, is it helpful really? What are your thoughts on this? Again, Anna, another brilliant question that I've never been asked. Um, I'm full of brilliant you know, questions. <laughs> Thank you. You know, we, we, I call myself a recovered alcoholic. I said I don't suffer anymore from alcoholism. So I'm a recovered alcoholic. I think, I think 12-step rooms at the moment are, are, are quite broken. I think a lot of people are, are, are calling themselves just alcoholics, therefore no good, and they live in that you know, disease of um, of shame, guilt, remorse, because that's what it is. You, you have to remember that uh, alcohol is 1% to do with alcohol is the same with drugs. It's only 1%. So you're right, maybe we say that. I also think well, if we've recovered from the disease, which means that I've gained my state of mind back and my body, because that's what alcoholism is about. It's about the obsessive mind. I can do it this time. And once I drink it, I become allergic to the ethanol in alcohol. It's my relationship to a biochemical reaction in the brain. So I would say, wow, I would say, yeah, I would say that has a huge effect. I'm, I'm sticking in that disease, sticking in that, you know, oh, God, I can't drink. That's not what it's all about, you know. It's about a psychic change, changing your own pathways, changing the mindset around alcohol to make sure that that compulsion does not work anymore for you so that you can literally not bother about it. I go in bars, my wife will drink now and again, probably four times a year, I will pour her wine for her. The compulsion to do with anything else is taken away. So am I an alcoholic? Well, always an alcoholic, but I'm now recovered. So saying you're a recovered alcoholic is very powerful. The book that they're reading, AA, is called The Big Book, and it talks about being empowered. It talks about alcohol not being a problem anymore. And I think once you get into that mindset, then everything starts to free up. I'm almost speechless with that question. It's so good. It's like, yeah, I mean, if you if you suffer from liver disease and you, and you recover and it's going on, you keep telling everybody you have liver disease. It's like, why do you keep saying that? Why do you keep saying that? I mean, you, you, you're treating it. You're either going to treat it or you're not. So, yeah, I'm going to ponder on that question. Days now. Brilliant question, Anna. Because I'm all about positive thinking and positive saying. So if we can change it to some positive affirmation, like I'm healthy. Yes. I'm, I'm happy. I, I live my dream life. You know, something that, that your mind will believe and alcohol wouldn't even an issue. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. That, that's what it's about. It, quantum physics tells us that once we visualize something, we can walk over and take that position of whatever it may be. So if you're always, you know, 
drop a pen on the floor. Oh, stupid idiot. My brain likes that because it will keep that and that will come into my prefrontal cortex, the decision maker, 10 minutes before I'm going to go for that job, car, house, girl, whatever it may be. So, yeah, I try and stick the negative things out and to recover alcoholics, which is what the book says anyway, which is pretty cool, 17 times. So, yeah, a big mindset. If you go to meetings and you keep calling yourself just an alcoholic, then that's going to play in your mind and you're going to be stuck as a victim for a long time. Exactly, exactly. Rob, just conscious of time. Where people can find you? Well, Dr. Rob Kelly can say any search engine, R-O-B-B, spelling name with two Bs, K-E-L-L-Y dot com is the website. So robkelly.com is the website. Any search engine, Dr. Rob Kelly or come up, send me an email, send me a text, whatever you want to do. It's all on the website. If you want to contact me, if you want to call me, there's a button there. You can call direct to me. If you want to buy the book, if you want to, whatever you want to do, jump on the website, R-O-B-B-K-E-L-L-Y dot com. And uh, yeah, send me a message, send me a text, man. Just let me know how, how, we, uh, how we got to know each other. Perfect. Rob, just before we go, do you have any concluding thoughts? I, oh, I, you know, people ask me this all the time. And I would say that, you know, people don't think that they can really have an amazing life. People don't think that it is possible for them. So if you're sat at home and you're listening to this, and you don't think you're, if you don't think you're going to amount to anything, and if you don't think you can get out of the hole that you're in, I want to apologize to you because somebody's put that there. We are born with million dollar minds. Stop hanging around 10 cent minds because you'll never grow. The mentality of people, they did a, a, a thing once where they put a thousand fleas into a, a jar, like a big mason jar. And they put the lid on and they kept the lid there for three days. After three days, they took the lid off. Then fleas would not jump higher than where the lid was. And they can jump three foot. They wouldn't go higher than where the lid was. But what's most important, apart from that, is the babies that they had, they wouldn't jump higher than where the lid was. Because if you learn behavior, guys, take the lid, lid off. Jump three, five, ten feet. Jump. No one's going to stop you, and you'll be surprised how empowered you are. You'll be surprised of what you can do. You can be surprised of how far you can take this and how many people's lives you will change by just being you. And we think we can't. The leader that you're looking for is you. The leader is you. And there's so many people, millions of people out there that can be affected by one person taking the reins and going, yeah, I'm a leader. I can do this today. And don't ever think for a second that you can't. I don't care what your circumstances are. Remember, in English, with the English accent, you have a million-dollar mind. Stop hanging around 10-cent minds. Boom! <laughs> I'm in, Dr. Rob. <laughs> I'm in. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Rob Kelly. Thank you for being here today. I know it's not easy. If you are ready to take this journey all the way, I can help. To find more about my unique method of turning your past trauma into your superpower or how to connect with me best, go to annaditchburn.com. This journey isn't possible to do on your own. So make sure you like, subscribe and review the podcast so we can help more people like you. And if you have someone in your life 
who is struggling to overcome their trauma, this is something you can give them that truly can change the course of their life forever. We'll see you next time for another episode of the world's best trauma recovery podcast. And just remember, you are able to help yourself and you can do it right now.